Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and we have the pleasure each week of talking to someone who is working to build a more humane world from the inside out. And my guest today is Donna Ray Seville from up around Chicago. This is your second time on this show, right, Donna Ray? Yes, yes, yes. It's good to be back. Uh, <laughs> time. I think we last spoke in 2000, like the beginning of the year, 2018 or late 2018. Yeah. I believe one of those is right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You were, uh, you were our first guest from a different continent. I, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. I was in Zimbabwe, Namibia, Tanzania, South, North, East, West, Central Africa, everywhere around there. Oh man, I'm, I'm pretty excited right now. So um, if you see me like just smiling or feeling, hey, well, what are you excited about? Let's let's get let's hear it while it's uh, fresh. We don't want to lose that. So what am I excited about? Yeah, I was just taking a stroll to the grocery store, you know, so I can stock up on supplies because we have to stay home, right, everybody. This is a very serious public health time where that's probably best to limit our interactions with people. And um, being a master of public health, there's a term um, called herd immunity, which basically yeah. means like if the herd is strong, then the disease or the illness cannot be passed on as easily because people's bodies are not uh, susceptible to receiving that disease. So if everybody stays strong, then most likely we all can uh, remain strong. So I had to go get some food though. and. On my way back, I stopped, oh, I didn't stop. Um, a kid stopped me. He asked me, can I help the homeless? He was a, he was a kid. So I gave, him, I gave him some money. And a few shops later um, was a barber shop that's supposed to be closed, but I seen people walking in and out. So I figured, hey, I'm going to be talking to the great Dr. Dalton today, the Wizard of Oz himself. <laughs> <laughs> I might as well get a haircut to be prepared. And doctor, would you know it that the guy who cut my hair, he's a famous actor in the country I was just living in since 2016. No. He was wearing a face mask. And he said, there's no way you've been living in Zambia. I said, I promise you I have. Um, I, I talk about it as much as I can. And he said, I'm going to show you a picture of who I am. You can't tell by now my face because he had the mask on. but. He's a very distinguished gentleman, a big gray beard, shaven head. And I, I just had no idea that one, he was American. And two, he was from my hometown. So we just reconnected on a bunch of stuff. Wow. Cultures, uh, what it feels like to be back, uh, future plans and whatnot. So it was just an amazing surprise. And I told him, um, it's good for us to expect good things to happen in our life. And he told me, you have to be prepared for those things when they pop up like today. So. Yeah, I'm kind of just, my heart rate is just like up. This just happened just now. And um, Are you able to share his name? Uh, yeah, Frank Cox. He's an actor. You can find him on Instagram um, at one Frank I M. So go check him out. Um, he's a famous actor on the continent of Africa. And um, he plays a, a, a elderly figure in the show of, of, based around this young girl who's finding her way in life. And I've seen advertisements for the show all while I was over there, but I had no idea 
he was my fellow tribesman. He was American. He was a, a Chicago native as well. <laughs> yeah, I, there's some, still some people I need to call and tell about this. <laughs> yes. So you're a Chicago native. What are, uh, yeah, yeah. What, what is that? Uh, how does that add to who you are? Well, Chicago is known to be a cold place. And myself, I've always loved the warm. So if I can, I've always kind of like looked around Chicago, like what makes this place what it is? Where do I fit in around here? And places are always changing, really. And I want to, let me take a deep breath real quick. <laughs> so Chicago, it kind of raised me and touched me up severely in a sense that there was a movie called Hardball where uh, Keanu Reeves from The Matrix, he came into this um, urban environment and he taught these kids how to play baseball. And that was my environment. Anybody who's seen that movie knows it was kind of like, um, it was a low socioeconomic status class, but I've always been able to go to different places. For example, we have like the skyscrapers here. We have a lot of art museums. We have the different suburbs. So I've just kind of collected data as a child about the city we live in that's kind of made me like want to see more and wonder why things are. And I feel like I'm rambling right now, but Chicago has a bunch of different communities. There's an Indian population here. There's Pakistani, Greek, Italian, Mexican, Puerto Rican, and they all have their separate communities. So it was just like, a, a mind, like a, not a minefield, but just a huge like canvas where you can just sit back and study and learn if you're that type of observant person. And that's how it kind of raised me. I would always travel. My, my father is a bus driver. So the little kid on the bus, just looking around the city, like this is a lot. Just taking it in, not speaking much. Observing. Very much. And you're that's a good observer. We're living now. Yeah, I, I'm an observer for, <laughs> I get paid to observe things now. <laughs> you do? <laughs> Tell us about that. So uh, my industry is clinical research. It's been in the news a lot lately, as a matter of fact. Um, with a lot of vaccine talk um, around the current COVID situation. And the industry, basically what it does, is it discovers um, different um, biomedical equipment or pharmaceutical drugs that people can use that need them. So there's a way of cultivating these devices and medicines and making sure they're safe, making sure they're um, effective and also making sure that everything is regulated by the FDA as being ethical and um, with the purpose. So my job basically in, um, in layman's term is to make sure that these studies are being carried out in one ethical manner where the patient or the subject knows what they're getting into. Um, when I say what they're getting into, I mean like the clinical trial. They know the safety, they know the purpose of it, they know the risk behind it, and they know the benefits or the cons that of what's to come and also to make sure that the people who are conducting this research are doing it in an ethical and follow in that ethical manner and following that protocol, the scientific protocol on what the FDA approved. So this can happen without the FDA approving and saying, this is safe or try again with some other type of protocol. I'm, I'm going to try to speak um, very informal just so everybody can catch on and there's nothing that's left to um, wonder. Okay, now a lot of us have seen a movie called The Constant Gardener. I've okay. mentioned it to you before about a trial of a drug mm -hmm. on four people in 
a Central African country. Yes, yes. So this was seen as not ethical, and it had a lot of political ramifications in Europe where the big corporate headquarters was and people got killed and all this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So you're now working with a company that is working to prevent that kind of research? Yes, well, my position exactly is to make sure that all of the research is approved, that everybody knows what's going on, including the patient, and that is being done in an ethical manner. There's a, a separate third party who they don't care about nothing scientific, scientifically. They only care about, is this drug safe for our patient? And my job is to make sure that they're aware of what's going on. And these are just ethic committees. Mm-hmm. If anything is like, um, because I'm not sure how I'm coming off right now, so just ask for clarification if needed. Does that mean you're going to need to travel to wherever the the research subjects are that have been uh, contracted to be in the study? Uh, yes, that's actually um, a part of the job as well. You have to go down to the actual level where the research is being conducted to review everything that they have there. It's almost, in a sense, an auditor. I go there and I just make sure that everything is correct. All the dots across, all the T's, all the dots either dotted, all the T's across. That the you have what you call informed consent. This is what the patient, probably the most important person or entity in this entire process, especially in my opinion. They have informed consents, which could be pages long, and they have to go through this rigorously with the patient before anything can happen. And the patient has to initial and date every page. So one of my jobs would just be to go through every single one of those pages to make sure the subject or the person knows exactly what's on there and that they understand it. And um, yeah, that they're followed up on as well. So it's, it's a lot that goes into it, but it's certainly exciting, um, especially for someone who's lost like parents and loved ones to diseases that are preventable. And I just love to be on the side of things where I can like see where my efforts are going really. What, uh, in in this particular time that you're working there, are these drugs related to the COVID-19 or vaccines related to that? Because you used to work with HIV research. Uh, yes, yes. So my last position was directly at the ground level with an HIV vaccine that we were testing out to make sure that it is effective um, for general population. And my current position we deal with medical devices. So um, we know here in America that heart disease is a big problem. Um, it's probably one of our leading causes of death because our, um, our society and our population, we have, a, we have a culture where exercise and um, taking care of yourself is not really like the norm. So a lot of people have, um, what do you call them, like sedentary lifestyles where the heart just kind of takes on all of the stress. So, what my work now encompasses is a medical device which can test from your blood if your heart is stressed out, which means it's on its way to have a heart attack, on its way to have a heart attack. So we are, a person will come to the hospital or the research site and they'll say, hey doctor, my chest has been paining me lately. And the research that I do now, that doctor will take a small tube of blood, they can run it through this medical device, which our company does, and that medical device will say, this person has a, there's a hormone called troponin. If your troponin, this hormone that your heart releases when it's stressed out, 
if the troponin levels are escalated, then there's a high chance that this person is about to have a heart attack. So the doctors can immediately act then. So um, yeah, now I work with medical devices before it was with um, pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the HIV vaccine before, um, mm -hmm. is that continuing uh, research or did that get interrupted when the uh, COVID-19 came along? Okay, well, research itself takes about anywhere between five to 10 years until you can get on the market for a person. For example, this COVID um, vaccine that they're speaking of, um, our president himself said it would take years or months, not months, but it would take years for us to know scientifically whether this is effective or not. So um, that research itself is still continuing. A lot of the times professionals in this industry uh, we're contracted and moved from research project to research project. And the only way I would know the results from that project is by going to, this is where you all can go to follow any of these research projects, clinicaltrials.gov. Every clinical trial in the world is on this website. You can break it down by um, the, the, the therapeutic area, whether it's heart conditions, diabetes, HIV, medical devices, and you can see every trial, every location in the world. So that's, that is where I would have to go to find out how that study is continuing, but I've moved on to a, second, a different project now. And um, that experience in Zambia, first of all, to all of my Zambians who are watching this right now, Muli Bwanji, Nili Bueno, it touched me up severely because I was there on the ground level with the people who were um, declining or accepting this test, who had questions about it, who were um, advocates for it. And it just showed me a, a perspective where it kind of just broadened my horizons if we could just put it to simplest terms. I love to speak in depths about it with anybody who's curious um, more privately, but yes, yeah, it was a grand, grand experience, especially on a science level and a cultural level. Did you come to a, a moment down there where you had to make a choice to stay and continue in that research or, or come back to the States? That's a, that's a very good question, doctor. How are you doing? I didn't ask how you're doing today. <laughs> I'm having a wonderful day, a magical day. Same here, same here. Particularly okay. with you on the line right now. Are you, are you ready to get personal? Well, I can get a little personal. We'll see uh, what the uh, airways uh, allow, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll definitely keep everything um, under your regulations. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you asked me, did there come a point where I had to decide whether to stay or whether to go? Um, yes, it did. Um, because a lot of the jobs that side of the world are based on contracts. Um, you'll be contracted to work for this long. Afterwards, you can renew it or apply for another position. Um, but personally, I was at conflict with myself um, because I, um, I neglected someone that I dearly, dearly cared about and loved, and I lost that person. I neglected what we shared. That person realized that and uh, took off. So. I was kind of at a moment where I had to come back to myself and see, Donna Ray, what are you doing right now that makes your life like um, in a depressive state? I was kind of depressed, as a matter of fact, doctor, and uh, I'm not even sure how this is coming off right now, but uh, yeah, so basically 
in order for me to heal the way I needed to, that involved coming back home to my family, to my place of birth, um, to what I know, my roots essentially, and kind of show them who I've become and the possibilities and to catch up with them. And um, yeah, that was the deciding factor. Basically, um, I went through a, um, hey people, I went through a breakup, okay? That's what I'm getting at. I went through a breakup and I decided to come home and I've healed since then. Beautiful, beautiful. I, uh, I can appreciate that situation. Uh, mm -hmm. I went through something like that in uh, my first marriage. Mm. And, uh, rather than having a home that I could go to, mm -hmm. uh, I was looking for something kind of spiritual to dive into mm. to become a home, exactly. uh, a refuge. Mm -hmm. And uh, and yet it became you know the substitute home. So I mm -hmm. I can I can really appreciate your situation and uh, uh, glad to see the uh, excitement on your face today. That oh, man. Yeah, healing has been good. It has been. It has been. Thank thank God for like friends and mentors because uh, my friends and mentors they kind of seen me while I was going to the states and this is kind of why it's it's good to check on your your people, your loved ones that you care about, because um, sometimes times are hard for everybody. They might smile on the outside or keep busy on the outside, but you don't know what they're going through. And my friends and mentors, this is when I realized that I had to get better. Um, I had a couple people who worked under me, but were older than me. So they referred to me as their son or their um, nephew. Right. One of the ladies, she came to me and she said, where's my son? Where's Donneray? And she called me while I was busy. I was like, uh, I'm right here. What are you, Neely Cole, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm right here. And she says, no, no, you're, you're not acting like my son. I haven't seen my son in a while. Where, where have you been? What's going on? And I said, okay, it's starting to show now. I need to get better. I need to heal. So I, I had to look at myself. And as a matter of fact, I actually, um, leaving Zambia was a sacrifice, coming back home. And then I, I sacrificed my... I haven't talked about this publicly yet, as a matter of fact, but um, I decided to go sober and to stay celibate for a year, basically. Just go a whole year without any outside substances, just stick to myself. What do, what traits do I have that I'm portraying that would harm me or make me like come to this state? I need to take care of that internally. Before I can do anything with anybody else because I very much want a family. I want, I want, like, you have a marsh here in a home and to come home to like that. And I have to kind of self-diagnose myself. I said, okay, just, just reflect, get better, drink water, get sleep, but don't put anything from the outside world in your body and, and go home. Like, that was kind of the, the circumstances that things came on. Like, if I go home, then I have to do these things, man. That's how it's been. That's a powerful commitment. Yeah, yeah. Powerful and hard, strong though. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you've been tempted. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the book says there's always temptation, and <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's been temptations, but so that will make you stronger. You have mm -hmm. uh, uh, what nine months to go? Oh no, no, no! Until June. Until oh, June. just until June. <laughs> You're it's ten days further than it has to be, actually. Fifteen. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. I'm sorry, doctor. I'm being a character right now. Well, uh, me too. Yeah. 
No, so today uh, I got a chance to uh, talk with my daughter. We had a fantastic one-on-one, uh, -on -one, uh, deep and personal and and uh, emotional. Mm -hmm. it was just wonderful. Just before uh, we got on the line here together, you and me. So we we both coming from a sort of a high uh, place and definitely, uh, and yet both of us know that there's all kinds of people going through tremendous mm -hmm. suffering and stress and and uh separation not able to um, connect like they would like to with loved mm -hmm. ones in chicago we've been quite fortunate as a matter of fact because the weather is getting better people are outside as if nothing is wrong um they're not congregating in public places like churches or grocery stores but people are still just as free on the streets. And as a matter of fact, I've spoken to my sister and I'm going to go see my, my four little nieces um, tonight. My sister's going to cook dinner, her and her husband, and I'm going to um, fellowship with them, stay tonight with my nieces and try to show them some things or two. They have a sewing machine and I'm interested in learning how to sew myself. So, but um, people being separated, I've been staying away from the elderly people in my family just because that's just a, a no, no risk like this is a no fly zone at this time are people wearing masks very much yes. sir very much people Good. are wearing masks yes or, or cloth masks. coverings of some sort mm -hmm. yep as they should as a matter of fact and wearing gloves especially when you're out in public yeah especially then so you mentioned that the barber had his mask on as he, was he did there. yeah yeah and uh sure good. Did, yeah. well that will uh flatten the curve faster evidently yeah, hopefully. Uh, can we can we talk about flattening the curve? Because that's a term that's thrown around a lot. And I'm not quite sure if everybody um, from a public health standpoint kind of knows what that means. Would you mind if I take a moment to kind of explain flattening the curve? Please. Yes, I'd love it. Okay, then. So if you have a chart, basically, just think about your y-axis, x-axis, and then you have this curve that people keep talking about flattening when they say flatten this curve. So basically, this curve is the amount of cases of a disease, a ep epidemiological curve is what is referred to. This is the curve is the amount of diseases that is happening. And it's basically over a period of time. So let's just say this is January, February, March, things shot up on us. And what they mean by flattening the curve is basically stay at home, be like basically strengthen the herd so that we can this disease doesn't pass along as easily and eventually as people recover the number of cases go down so that curve is flattened as people recover or unfortunately die um, as long as the cases are disappearing then the curve is being flattened so that's kind of what flattening the curve means did that make sense doctor i'm not quite sure how i come off sometimes i think it uh, because i might have already known that it mm -hmm. made sense to me, so uh, let's say, yeah, that was a good job. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I think when we watch the curve on TV, mm -hmm. what we see is a projected curve mm -hmm. if we don't do physical distancing. Exactly, exactly. And so we have choices to make that can change from the projection to a much more flattened mountain. 
Mm-hmm. We're taking exactly. the mountain top off of the mm-hmm. projection. Yeah, and it's been a long time since public health has been in the news like this. Probably a sense maybe like the SARS epidemic and then HIV uh, before then and then like your common influenza cases. But it's been a long time since public health has been on the front, front, front forefronts of everybody's attention. And, and epidemiology, that's uh, such a powerful research uh, mm-hmm. portion of the public health service. It is. Um, for anybody out there who's wondering what epidemiology is, um, just it's basically a person, an epidemiologist is a detective for diseases. They figure out when did this happen? Where did it happen? How many people did it affect? Uh, where did this person go? They're basically an investigator of a disease. No matter what disease it is, you're just investigating that disease. That's what epidemiology is. For so any- when, they, when they talk on the TV about tracing, mm-hmm. they're talking about uh, when someone has tested positive, they want to trace the history of their movements to see who they might have infected or where they got it themselves. Is that exactly. Yep. And an epidemiologist um, might be doing that. Exactly. We used to do that um, in the country of Zambia for the disease uh, known as malaria. It's spread by mosquitoes. So if a person found themselves to be positive for malaria, we would want to know where have you been lately? Because if a mosquito bit you in that area, it's possible that the disease is now in that area. Mm-hmm. Yep. Speaking of malaria, mm-hmm. uh, malaria is passed on by a mosquito that has a parasite mm-hmm. uh, in its uh, gut, let's say. Is that yep. the way to say it? Mm-hmm. And that parasite, which is an organism itself, it's a living organism, right? Yep. It is, yes. That can be inserted into who whatever person they're biting or sticking their little tube into yes yes they kind of regurgitate the the contents of their gut into the person and they get Mm. the parasite yes even for other diseases such as like dengue fever um there's quite a few um neglected tropical diseases which are spread by mosquitoes yep um malaria being the biggest so as a public health uh, fellow do you know what the parasite does to a person once it's in the body? So basically, this person will start to have several symptoms. They'll have severe back aches. Their body will ache. They'll get kind of chills where it may be hot outside, but they're cold. Or they may just have severe night sweats. And then there's flu-like symptoms. But the, um, the chills and the back aches and then just the weakness, the overall general weakness, body weakness, um, is kind of in the loss of appetite. This is, these are all things that kind of contribute to like how people can die from malaria. And um, I was quite fortunate to not see many cases of malaria. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but the part of the world I was in um, was very dry, very dry, and then the rains will come and turn everything green. So. When the rains came, we had mosquitoes, but throughout the rest of the year, it was, it was no mosquitoes like, like that, yeah. So uh, I'm just real curious about uh, the parasite mm-hmm. and where it uh, moves inside a person's body. Does it, does it go through the bloodstream and find a certain organ that it attacks or, or how, what, you know, the body's symptoms are responding in a way to try to protect 
the person that's been infected, right? Yes, yes, yes. So where is this parasite trying to get to in my body? Trying to get to the liver and the kidneys. Oh, okay. It's flowing, it gets there, and then it replicates itself into the cells and kind of, if, if you can imagine just a parasite infiltrating a cell and then just bursting after it's replicated so many times, and it starts flowing through your bloodstream through that side, or through that way. So the parasite works very much like a virus works, mm -hmm. of penetrating a cell and multiplying that way? Yes, and once this cell has kind of exploded, then the parasite flows on through the stream and finds other cells to infiltrate. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, can you speak at all to this uh, now being tested theory of a malaria drug being used to fight the virus COVID-19. Do you have any insight into that? Uh, I can't, I, I don't want to touch that, Dr. I, because that's not my exact expertise. Uh-huh. And uh, no, it can get very like rough if, if I was trying to describe that. But I, me, myself, I have taken malaria medications and I've had no side effects from them. Um, there's a couple of them, chloroquine, which is the main one in the news I'm familiar with, and it's kind of still used in South America and within Sub-Saharan Africa as a, as a malaria prophylactics. Mm -hmm. Still used there by people, but I'm not sure exactly how the, the scientists themselves now say that that can combat the COVID-19. That I'm not sure about, if I can just be frank with you. Yeah, well, I don't think Dr. Fauci's sure either, <laughs> because he is indicating that uh, research is still being done and mm -hmm. uh, only anecdotally has exactly. that uh, been promoted. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess uh, I'm glad you answered that way since the jury yes, really is still out. Certainly, the, yeah. And it's, it's very irresponsible to give out different medications or um, analysis without having the proper um, results and approval to do that. Um, this is exactly what used to happen back in the day where they would kind of test drugs on prisoners or back in the World War II where they would test, Nazis would test drugs on, just, just do anything they wanted to to these uh, people captured in war or even um, the Tuskegee experiments. Um, doing these things without having like the proper approval or the proper knowledge or results is very detrimental to our society and that's kind of the main reason, not the main reason, that is the reason why I love the work I do because I can prevent and identify such cases nowadays. So what you're saying is, if doctors are prescribing uh, hydrochloroquine mm -hmm. to a patient, thinking that that's a prophylactic to prevent COVID-19, that because it's not approved and proven, is not a very responsible act. Yes. Until it's proven with data that it is okay for healthy people and for sick people, then it's not really ethical to do such things. They're experimenting at that point and that we, makes us all guinea pigs if we're the recipient of the drug. We're just a, another guinea pig. Exactly. Especially if you don't have the if you don't consent them to do that. Right. Well, that's a, I appreciate your approach on that. It's, a, it's the proper public health approach. <laughs> yes, yes, let's, <laughs> oh man.
Yes. In this uh, journey that you're on of self-healing and uh, self-discovery, are there any tips that you can pass on? Because I've been finding that there are a lot of people that experience exactly what you described as feeling a loss, whether it's of a, of a relationship, uh, of a, a friend or family member, and then feeling some depression, and then feeling the need to somehow regroup. Uh, who am I? What, you know, what's my purpose? Can you see, do you have anything to share as to how it's been working for you? Uh, yeah, the first thing that I had to do to kind of get out of that um, situation was to take care of my body. I wasn't sleeping much, you know, kind of just up thinking about things at night. I wasn't drinking much water. I was only eating maybe one meal a day and it began to show. So that was the first thing I had to do. I had to just get the basic human necessities. I had to go be around some friends so I can have that camaraderie, that compassion. I had to make sure I was eating healthy meals just so my that would affect my mental health. How could I be mentally and emotionally there if my body is suffering? So that was the first thing I had to do. Then I had to kind of accept what happened. Okay, um, I see where I went wrong. In order for me to fix this, there are some things I need to challenge myself on. And I kind of took up that challenge to stay sober, stay celibate. And then my last, my last advice was, and this may not work for everybody, but I got very close to nature. I realized these things about myself. I started taking care of my body and I just got very, very, very close to nature, reflecting, kind of getting away from the noise or just finding like a peaceful, peaceful area. And yeah, just kind of moving on. Um, it's okay to feel and to have certain thoughts that are, that are kind of sad at times. So me being in nature kind of allowed myself to just be still, kind of see these thoughts coming past as if they were clouds. And once that cloud was out of the image, it's back to sunshine. More clouds come, okay, be still. I'm feeling this way, let it pass. And kind of just reflecting there instead of hiding and kind of just being hard on myself. I had to realize that I was having these thoughts and it was gonna pass. Wonderful, wonderful. That's sort of like saying, those thoughts aren't you. They're, They're sort not. of like the clouds that go by. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's so interesting that you're using that language because uh, yesterday I was uh, on a, I'm part of a Facebook group mm -hmm. and a, a friend there referred to a song about thoughts that I had never heard before where the singer, and I, I haven't gotten her name memorized, so I, I can't pass her on right now, mm -hmm. but uh, she had written a song about thoughts, mostly for kids, but also adults could listen in. And in the, in the song, a line goes, and I am not my thoughts, or those thoughts aren't me. They're like clouds that go <laughs> through the sky, and now they're gone, and, and the same analogy. And uh, so you had a physical, uh, you had uh, in, in that an emotional connection mm -hmm. of uh, looking at things, of uh, feelings, not condemning yourself for having sad feelings. Exactly. And I have to be around people who lifted my spirits up. That, that's which, which was relationships. So I'm kind of exactly. looking at our physical, 
mental, you were looking at thoughts like clouds. So we've got mm -hmm. physical, mental, emotional. You had relationships that you were uh, making sure you had some time with. And uh, in a way of spirit and environment, getting into nature kind of does that double whammy of, of kind of connecting with spirit or mm -hmm. spirit of the world, the nature aspect. Yes, yes. Yeah, excellent. I, I think uh, if we just said physical, mental, emotional, social, spiritual, mm -hmm. uh, and knew that spiritual encompassed uh, our, our environment, Mm -hmm. And uh, I think people could remember that and just take care of the basic business of those things. Sleep, you mentioned that as a, as a top priority. Very um, important. And then you're getting amount of water that you need and, and mm -hmm. eating maybe uh, two at least meals a day, if, if not three. <laughs> and uh, yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Great advice. For mm -hmm. you, didn't, you didn't learn that back in in college did you <laughs> uh, you know what i learned that from i learned that during our trip to oregon oh wow Go yeah ahead. with um with jean houston i believe her name is yep i learned that there great at the odyssey at the social artistry odyssey yep social artistry odyssey and i was there yeah you were there, you were there. <laughs> i was in that little tent just about 30 feet away from you and you're oh, man. Yeah. that was a great time I still remember a story you told, which kind of, like when I think of you, this story always kind of resonates to why I always like kind of like have this like relationship and respect for you. Can I can I tell the story? Yeah. Okay, I don't know what it is, so please, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's safe. So, <laughs> so uh, being a former professor at a historically black college, you you used to have a lot of students who. This is the story you you told, and I'm just repeating it how you said it. Okay. You had a lot of students who would. Um, kind of write you emails like, hey, sorry, doctor, that I wasn't in class last week. I was in jail or sorry, I'm late. I had to go to court to pay some tickets. And I remember you started to realize like, hey, this community is kind of affecting these students. They're learning and whatnot. And I knew, I knew that you were like genuine with it when you said that the cops pulled you over one day and they were being nice and friendly with you. And you just kind of like felt that feeling that the students were going through to the point you became like upset with the cops. Like, why are you doing this? Is this what you're doing to everybody else? And I was like, okay, this guy gets it. This guy gets it, yeah. So uh, much respect for that. Well, uh, let me just uh, change it only a little bit. Mm -hmm. When that policeman came up and I rolled the window down, I felt for the first time in my life a rage R-A-G-E, that I had, I, I, it was like, where did, I, it was, I, I was out of control. Mm. And uh, later in class, I started using, or maybe at that time I was even using it, the analogy of, uh, of a Native American uh, story about uh, a grandmother that uh, was with her grandson, and she had a necklace on with two wolf heads on it. And she said, uh, or the grandson says, what are, why, why are there two wolves? And she says, well, it reminds me that I have two wolves struggling in my heart. And uh, one wolf is the loving, kind, uh, compassionate wolf. And the other one is the angry, violent, vengeful wolf. And, and the grandson looks up and says, well, grandma, which one's gonna win? 
And the grandmother wisely says, the one I feed. When I started to apply that story to what I experienced in that moment with the police officer, and it took me well over a month to recover and start to you know, think about what's really going on. Oh, wow. I realized that every time one of my black students who I considered in those moments the underdog because they seemed to be picked on, I was feeding the angry, vengeful, violent wolf without knowing it. I was, mm. I was judging that police system as wrong, as bad. And, and this wolf had grown so strong without my conscious awareness that when the police officer was next to me and I rolled that window down, that wolf was the one who spoke. I had no, I had no, uh, no role in that. It was that wolf, I was out of control, and he just, I don't even know what the wolf said. It was just rage. So that's sort of a lesson too, that uh, sometimes there are things, forces that take us over, whether it's a depression or whether it's an anger. And, uh, and it may take some time for us to regroup and ask the question, why? Why am I feeling these things? Yeah, it was a great story, thank you. You might have heard that around the, that little campfire that we had there. Yeah, that's exactly right. I can still see it in my head right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, kind of, I kind of got the feeling that I was just the old guy with a bunch of youngsters there that was uh, telling an old guy story. But uh, as an OG, you know, I'm an OG. An OG, triple OG. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I kind of advise people who are like maybe just a few years younger than me. I say, hey, when you meet like your professors or assistance like if you meet people who are along the same lines of life that you see yourself as then you don't have to create this big barrier between them as if they're this like powerful being they're just kind of the same person you are just at a different like spectrum of time but they've definitely been where you've been at and you're going where they're going so don't feel as if they're this huge entity that you can never like see ascend like ascend to thank you yeah, you're on your way basically yeah so that's kind of like what i've kept to myself and i've actually shared that story about the wolf to um some adolescent boys who were troubled great story it, it's so uh powerful mm -hmm. and, and it once again shows that i am not my thoughts or i'm not even my emotions it's as if there are two wolves <laughs> exactly that's, that's kind of like the big responsibility that a lot of us have is that we have to figure things out for ourselves. Like we may be in like different circumstances, whether like geographically or physically, but we, we all still have to figure it out. Like, well, okay, how can I be the best person I can be? How can I deal with this behavior I'm not happy with? Or how can I deal with this person I'm not happy with? Or it's sent to the level I need to. Like we all have to figure it out. And yeah, just, just kind of like reflecting, not being hard on yourself. It's probably some of like the wisest wisdom I've been given is don't be hard on yourself. Um, I need to take this time to, um, I didn't say this earlier, but uh, we wouldn't be right here if it wasn't like for my mother. So I need to shout out my mother who ascended um, to heaven because she kind of made all of this possible. And 
if she didn't pass away from a preventable disease, then I wouldn't have even thought to start going into research to prevent diseases. So um, just want to acknowledge all the people out there who um, who's lost someone close to them or um, are dealing with some of this right now is that um, we're with you and I wish you a speedy recovery. And um, yeah, yeah, we're thinking about you. We got you in our heart. Thank you, thank you. Do you remember your mother, or was it your grandmother or mother? Your uh, mother, yes. Your mother. Do you remember her visiting you from the afterlife? Yeah, as a matter of fact, wow, wow. Can you just pull that back for a moment? Yeah, so one time, and this was the exact moment um, I made up my mind to say, okay, I'm going to be in Africa working, doing this public health and research work. I'm going there. I was watching a movie and I went to sleep, kind of inspired. I was also reading the book known as The Alchemist. So I was watching a movie, a documentary, very inspirational. And I read The Alchemist and I just thought, wow, you can really go chase your dreams and make these things happen. And I fell asleep. I had three dreams in um, kind of like one night. And when I woke up from these dreams, my jaws clenched really hard. It never happened. So I had to pause and say, wait, what just happened? And so these three dreams have all played out in reality. Um, the first one, this is sequential order, where my mother appears in as well. The first one is that I'm surrounded by a sea of people and I feel lost, I'm like, where's going on? And then somebody hops out of the crowd and says, oh, I got you, I'll help you show, show you where you are. That played out while I was in Zambia. I was with a colleague. Um, uh, being the male, she was kind of looking at me to kind of lead us around town. And I was lost. This is a foreign country. A lot of people around. And then my language teacher just popped out of the crowd like, Donnery, what are you doing? You're looking for the market? Oh, it's this way. I said, wait, that was my dream. <laughs> and then later on, I'm in New York at, um, well, I was at Yale University, but we had a, a gala in New York. And I stepped out to take a breather because you know sometimes those introverts, we need our breathing space. And I went onto the deck and I was just looking out above the water. And I said, wow, this is the second part of the dream I had. The second part of the dream was just a big body of water with the sun maybe being just above the horizon. Like just imagine like a lot of water than the sun right there. I said, wow, this is the second part. The third part of the dream was being within a, a gala, like kind of like a big event where people were just mingling, you know, cocktails, um, being sophisticated and cracking a few jokes, talking about real stuff, whatever people, sophisticated people do. And I just took a step back to look around. And I look around this event in my dream and I see my mother and she was just kind of just smiling at me. And I ran over to her, mama, mama, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I'm dreaming right now. What are you doing here? In real life, as I stepped back inside from that ocean with the sun there. I kind of just stood around and I just looked around. It was a lot of people mingling. And I seen a colleague who I've never met in person, but we've always communicated. He kind of advised me and gave me a lot of wisdom from afar. I said, hey, what are you doing here? You're here too? So um, yeah, yeah. That's, and after I woke up from that dream, I was like, okay, I'm going. And then it played out in real life as like, you made the right decision to do this. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. 
I've had a, a number of guests that have talked about the power of their dreams and mm -hmm. and uh, how uh, they've been informed in ways that uh, have helped their lives. So it's very much. It's a good, a good uh, kind of maybe sort of ending here. We're uh, oh, about man, to yes, wrap man. up our our time, mm -hmm. and uh, I just want to. Uh, the audience can't see your beautiful beaming face. I can. We're, we're on a Zoom call. Uh, mm -hmm. And so radio people only get to listen. But uh, I, I just uh, want to tell you I really appreciate you and, mm -hmm. and uh, the journey that you're undertaking and your ability to say yes and know when uh, when it's time to, to do the right shift. So exactly. All the best. All exactly. The best. And I plan on coming, after all of this is done, I plan on coming back down to Lincoln University and telling those graduating students about international opportunities that the government will pay them for. Wonderful. Them out. So I have to go spread this message as it was spread to me at Lincoln University. And that's when I'll catch you. That's when I will find you. Yeah, I'm in that town, just about mm -hmm. a, a mile away from the campus. So yes, sir. we'll have you over for dinner. Yes, sir. You know, Missouri is like a second home to me. Great. great. Well, fourth or fifth at this time. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Springfield and, and uh, Kansas City. and Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we'll count on it. Mm -hmm. Stay safe, people. Stay safe. And remember, folks, uh, wherever you are, that is your world. So please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you soon.
Now they're afraid to give us our rights. Maybe they worry. We'll rise up and fight.
Boy, boy.